Let's turn now to our scripture for this morning. It comes from Galatians 5, verses 2 through 10. Listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be no benefit to you. Once again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the entire law. You who want to be justified by the law have cut yourselves off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For though the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. You were running well. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? Such persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. I am confident about you in the Lord that you will not think otherwise. But whoever it is that is confusing you, you will pay the penalty. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of God's word. Good morning again, friends. Um, my name is Emily McGinley, um, it, and uh, I serve as the executive pastor. If you talk about me, um, you can use the pronouns she, her, and hers, and it is good to be home. Um, I was just, it was so good to walk through the doors and be like, oh, I, this, is, this is my place. I, I know these people. I know this place. I know where everything is, all the things that work and don't work or work only if you do a little dance before you do it. Um, <laughs> So it is good to be home. Um, uh, as we, <laughs> as we uh, delve into our passage for today, um, let's gather our hearts and minds in a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for the gift to come together, uh, both uh, uh, um, through streaming as well as uh, through our, our presence here um, physically. Um, we thank you that um, we are able to um, come and reflect um, and be community together as we think about what it means to be community in the broader world. And so uh, speak through me, in spite of me, and maybe also a little bit because of me, um, for the sake of your intentions of wholeness of life for all, and may we um, open ourselves to uh, your transformative work um, in whatever ways that, uh, that you would uh, do that work uh, so that we might be made um, healed and restored um, for a world that needs uh, more healing and more restoration. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So uh, welcome to our online um, friends. Uh, for those of you who are kind of wondering like what all these cameras are here um, about, um, we are streaming, um, we are, are streaming our services um, every Sunday for those of us, for those among us who can't join us in person. And so um, we uh, are excited to be able to do that. And the, and the stream team, as we like to call them, um, travels from, from site to site uh, uh, with each sermon series. So they'll be here um, for the rest of the month, just so you know. So this past week, uh, there were two pretty significant pieces of local news. On Tuesday, a series of events that hadn't taken place in Hyde Park in at least five years occurred. Cars were towed uh, and relocated and streets were closed off. Security details descended. Traffic was redirected all around Jackson Park. Why? Ground was being broken on the long-anticipated, long-contested Obama Presidential Center. Now, if you paid any attention over the last several years, you probably would have heard about the tensions between local organizers and grassroots 
leaders with the presidential um, center re representatives and big ticket stakeholders in the area. Some were pushing for certain guarantees like jobs and affordable housing in a community benefits agreement. Others took issue that the center was taking away large lakefront public parks land for private purposes. In fact, if you were in worship here at Hyde Park Woodlawn about four years ago, you would have heard me conversing with UVCR Juanita Irizarry um, about why the organization she works for, Friends of the Parks, opposed the building site. Even now, there's an active lawsuit that's been filed by local residents seeking to prevent the construction of the center, even though they've already broken ground. And yet there are plenty of people who want to see it built, who have spent a lot of time and effort to get it to where it is now, least of all the Obamas themselves, of course. After all, it's no small thing to be the launch pad of uh, our first black president. It's a point of pride and an achievement worth honoring. And if you ask any of these organizers working against the construction site, of the center, it would be difficult to find someone who didn't recognize this or even agree with it. But if you've ever been to Jackson Park or even driven by it during the summer, you'd be hard pressed not to find a family reunion, barbecue gathering, or a birthday party. There is a lot to be gained and lost in this project. Our parks matter because they say something about who we are, about how we identify, and how we gather. It's not only true for the South Side. Um, too. Chicago may be a city of neighborhoods, but it's also a city of parks. I mean, how many of our neighborhoods are identified by their parks, right? Humboldt Park, Irving Park, Hyde Park, Wicker Park, Jackson Park, Rogers Park, Lincoln Park, Jefferson Park, Marquette Park, Morgan Park. There are more. <laughs> but this isn't an infomercial for Chicago parks. <laughs> it's a sermon series on neighbors and neighborhoods. And our parks matter, not just because they're pretty to look at, but because they're an important way of how we gather with our neighbors. Over the next few weeks, as Rachel mentioned earlier, we'll be talking about neighbors and neighborhoods, about what it means to belong to one another and to be bound by love, whether it is love for the shy or God's love for us. Because it is God's love for us and how that calls us to be in relationship with one another that the Apostle Paul on our, uh, is focusing on in our passage for today. Now, if you're new to the Bible, or maybe it's been a while, no shame in your game, uh, it'd be good to know that Paul had a powerful experience of transformation on his way to hate on Christians. That experience was so powerful and transformative that he ended up dedicating the rest of his life to sharing about Jesus' love and message of wholeness of life for all, a.k.a. the gospel. And so Paul is actually the OG Christian missionary. He travels all throughout the Roman Empire, spreading the gospel, planting churches, and taking names along the way. But the problem, or I should say the learning opportunity in this, is that because he doesn't stay in one place, it's really up to these communities to keep things going. We've maybe experienced a little bit of that over the last few weeks. He sends them letters, and you see in a lot of them, he always talks about how he wishes he could see them more frequently, which after a while starts to sound like that one friend who's always like, we should get together sometime, right? But never actually nails down a date and time. Um, but so he sends these letters and to try to like give them guidance in his absence, especially when he hears that the community is in trouble, which is exactly what's happening in, uh, with the Galatian church in our passage today. There were some other missionaries, Paul calls them Judaizers, who came onto the scene saying, you can't truly be part of God's promise, God's covenant, until you, and by you, they mean, he means men, are circumcised. Maybe, maybe these missionaries had the best of intentions. Like, they just wanted to make sure that everyone sort of was, had gotten good with God, right? But whether it was intentional or not, 
what they ended up doing was turning some folks into second-class citizens. It weakened their unity as a community, undermined the power of the spirit to guide their life together, and maybe worst of all, it made the gospel conditional. That unless you got circumcised, you didn't really belong. So Paul is big man. Because some folks in the community were listening to these missionaries, and what they started to do was exactly what Jesus had spent his entire ministry trying to undo. They started to place more importance on the letter of the law than on the spirit of the law. In other words, they got so focused on who was in and who was out that they lost sight of the fact that God's beloved community is a community of belonging before behaving. Now, don't get me wrong, there are plenty of times uh, when Paul takes folks to task for, for being all talk and no action. But this is a situation where people are almost rooting for each other to fail and delighting when they do. This is not what Jesus came to bring about. And so Paul says, and I, I love the translation from the message on this one, he says, live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself you might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens, and so complete Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you are badly deceived. Instead of calling each other out, call each other in. Name the ways that folks could do better, and then help them do better. Don't let each other off the hook, but don't hang them out to dry either. In other words, we are in this together. And while we're at it, be conscious of your own stuff, he says. Take care of each other, bear each other's burdens, and make sure you examine your own motives when, when you hold people accountable. And when you do, do it with gentleness. Because whatever you put out will come back to you. You will reap what you harvest, he says. Examine your spirit. Make sure that you're coming from a place of love, because God will come for you too. I'm pretty sure that Ice Cube had this passage in mind when he said you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. In other words, be invested in one another and let God's grace guide you as much with others as you need it for yourself. These were important guidelines then, but also for us today. Because when we stop caring for each other, when we stop carrying each other, we fragment and fall apart as individuals and especially as a community. I mentioned earlier that there were two big pieces of local news. So while the Presidential Center at Jackson Park was the one closest to us, just six miles north of here was the other one. News came out that the Chicago Bears had signed a lease agreement to move to the team's home site to a racetrack in Arlington Heights. Maybe this is news for some folks. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot responded that this was just a tactic to lower the rent. And sure, at the end of the day, the Chicago Bears are a business. But I couldn't help but wonder whether there ought to be some kind of commitment to the city if they're going to use our name. After all, their welfare depends at least a little on the welfare of this city. And yet they didn't think twice about skipping town. Shouldn't it count for something that they would call Chicago home? What is our obligation to one another? This is the question that Paul engages in our passage, and it's also the question that we're exploring in the weeks to come. 
Now, throughout this sermon series, we're partnering with the Folded Map Project, which Rachel mentioned earlier. It was started by Tanika Johnson, um, a Chicago artist who decided to explore the twin neighborhoods of Chicago. And by this, uh, she means if you were to fold a map of Chicago in half, let's say north to south, right? Uh, our location here in Woodlawn would have a neighborhood twin in Edgewater. 53 or 60, 60, 600, 60, 100, 6,000 south um, with uh, 6,000 north, right? Um, and so the purpose of the project is mainly to open our eyes and look, really look and see the differences between our neighborhoods. Some of what we will notice will be the inequities. Others will be the unique expressions of how folks do life. But overall, it's an opportunity for us to be reminded of what our friends with the Chicago Bears may have forgotten. That we must bear, I mean that in a punny way, each other's burdens. Even if our daily lives look different and hardly ever intersect, we still belong to one another. And because we belong to one another, we are also obligated to each other. And this means the inequities might require us to call one another in to accountability as a part of our common unity as Chicagoans and work toward a reality where everyone can thrive and not just cut out when it stops being profitable or convenient. Because capitalism and startup culture would tell us to game our communities, to get in, get rich, and get out. But the gospel calls us to a better way, to live beyond this moment, to invest and plant and sow seeds for a shared future together. Let's do better, Paul says. You must do better, he heats up, because while you might be able to game each other, you can't game God. And when you game each other, ultimately, you are gaming God. So do better by each other, by God, and ultimately by yourself. Because, of course, you are not alone or unattached, right, from one another, even if you'd prefer to be. You are bound to one another. Now, I always say that churches uh, is our practice space for the lives that God calls us to live outside of this community. We practice bringing about God's kingdom. We practice calling one another in with a spirit of gentleness. And so practice belonging to one another and bearing one another's burdens here. It's hard enough to do it everywhere else, and it's not even easy sometimes to do it here, right? Practice calling people in here. Practice self-examination and reflection here. Ask yourself, am I honestly working for the benefit of the community? Am I acting in a way that reflects God's character? When I'm checking someone else, am I also checking myself? These are hard questions, faithful questions, necessary questions, if we are committed to God's project and vision of wholeness of life for all. And so, Start with where you are and with what you have, here at UVC, here in your neighborhood, and here in this city. We belong to one another as much as we belong to God. So let's start living like it. Let's find our neighbors and let's be a neighbor for the sake of this little community here, for the neighborhood in which we live, and for the city we call home. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for this incredible city that is beautiful and terrible and wonderful and scary and delightful and joyful and all of the things. We thank you for the opportunity to be a part of it, to build it up for your purposes, 
and to be formed by it for your purposes. And so as we engage um, in the next weeks and think about where it is that we live and how it is that we are called to be a neighbor to one another, we ask that you would help us to open our eyes and see the goodness of your creation around us in the unique realities that shape our neighborhoods. We thank you, God, that you do not abandon us to, um, to our worst selves, but that, in fact, you call us in as well, that you bind us up and bind us together in your love. So help us to live in that love with gratitude, with grit, and with grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>